Welcome to Anchored, a podcast brought to you by The Word Unleashed, the preaching and teaching ministry of Tom Pennington. For more of Tom's content or to connect with us, visit our website at www.thewordunleashed.org. Now here's Tom exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth. Total inability. This is such a crucial issue to understand. Essentially, what total inability teaches is that unregenerate man, that is, man apart from Christ, is totally unable to respond to God or to please God in any way. Now, tonight, you need to know that we sit here with a history of 2,000 years of battles over this issue. The battles really began with Augustine versus Pelagius. Pelagius was a British monk who professed Christ in about 400 A.D. In 410, he traveled to Africa where he met Augustine. And the two disagreed sharply. What especially shocked and angered Pelagius was this line in Augustine's confessions. Listen carefully. Augustine wrote, Give me the grace, O Lord, to do as you command, and command me to do what you will. O holy God, when your commands are obeyed, it is from you that we receive the power to obey them. Now, when Pelagius read that line, he saw this as an assault on human goodness, on human freedom and human responsibility. If I could not respond to God, but instead God had to give me the ability to respond to him, then Pelagius said, no, that can't be true. If God has to give what he commands then we are not able to do what he commands, and that means, ultimately, we're not really responsible to obey. That's what Pelagius thought. He taught that though grace may facilitate the achieving of righteousness, grace is not necessary to that end. He denied original sin. He argued that human nature is good at its core and able to do all that God commands it to do, including repent and believe the gospel. That's what Pelagius taught. He was condemned as a heretic by at least three church councils, but that's what he believed. Augustine, of course, argued exactly the opposite. In a few minutes, we'll look at what Augustine taught about this issue. Fast forward a thousand years to a similar conflict between Martin Luther, the German reformer, and the Dutch humanist Erasmus of Rotterdam. Erasmus was a Roman Catholic scholar who initially was sympathetic to the Reformation, but The reason he was sympathetic is because as any thinking Roman Catholic of the time, he understood that the church desperately needed reform. However, he was eventually asked by the hierarchy of the Roman Catholic Church to write in response to Luther. So he wrote what he called a diatribe, which simply means a discussion, a diatribe concerning free will. Luther responded to what Erasmus had written, and Luther responded with what he believed was his most important theological work. If you haven't read it, I encourage you to read it. It's called The Bondage of the Will. B.B. Warfield called it the manifesto of the Reformation. If you want to understand the Reformation, you need to read The Bondage of the Will by Martin Luther. Luther saw it as the heart of the gospel. Now you ask yourself, with all that was going on in the Reformation, and you've read some about that, why is it that Erasmus decided to make the freedom of the will the point at which he attacked Luther's theology. Well, listen to the reason Luther gives. This is from his book, The Bondage of the Will. He's writing to Erasmus. He says, I give you hearty praise and commendation on this further account 
that you alone, in contrast with all others, have attacked the real thing. That is the essential issue. You have not wearied me with those extraneous issues about the papacy, purgatory, indulgences, and such like, trifles rather than issues, in respect of which almost all to date have sought my blood, though without success. He says, you and you alone have seen, listen to this, the hinge on which all turns and aimed for the vital spot. Luther said, in everything I've taught, in everything I've believed and instructed, it all comes down, it hinges on the issue of the freedom or bondage of the human will. Later, there was a battle between the followers of John Calvin and Arminius. We'll look at that in more detail, this famous theological joust, when we examine the doctrine of salvation in a few weeks. But when you look at all of these battles, you have to ask yourself, what exactly is the crux? What's the bottom line issue? In each of these historical conflicts, the crux of the differences centered on the question, to what extent is man's will affected by the fall and by original sin that he inherits from his parents? To what extent is our will affected by that? Or a more common way to express it is, does man have a free will? And if he does, what does it mean? Now, this issue can be very confusing because both words, the word free and the word will, can be used in different senses. So for clarity, we need to start with some foundational definitions. What do we mean? Well, first of all, when we talk about the will, it's used two different ways. It's used for that faculty of the soul that makes choices. Or Jonathan Edwards said, it's really just the mind choosing. He rejected the idea that there is some separate mechanism in your soul and mine called the will, but instead the will is just our way of describing the mind choosing. I think he's right. So when we speak of the will and we do that, understand that we're not talking about some separate compartment in your soul. We're describing the reality that because you were made in God's image, your mind has the capacity to make choices. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Anchored Podcast. If you'd like to access additional content from Tom, or if you're interested in partnering with The Word Unleashed, please visit our website at www.thewordunleashed.org and be sure to connect with us on social media. We look forward to studying God's Word together with you on the next episode of Anchored.